Hi everyone, Husna here and you are listening to Undocumented Sabah. Yes, this podcast is a university project and it is a project that I got to work on with my other three friends, Aisha, Kaylee and Huishen, supervised by our lecturer, Dr. Fuad Rahman. As a team, we were curious about a community in Malaysia, specifically in Sabah, whose status and identity are still questionable. Not Malaysian, not Indonesian, not Filipino, but stateless. What does being a stateless mean? How much weight does it carry? We hope that you'll enjoy listening to us talking and most importantly, benefit from it. As your host, I'll take you along as we uncover the issue of statelessness in Sabah. Hey everyone, you are listening to Undocumented Sabah. I am Husna, your host, and I'll take you along as we uncover the issue of statelessness in Sabah. For our very first episode, we had the biggest honor to have E, as she preferred to be called as, as our first guest. The interview was carried out by my two friends, Hui Shen and Kaylee. To E, if you are listening to this, we can never thank you enough. Let's welcome E and her stories of how she used to be undocumented, the struggles of being stateless, and her involvement in statelessness advocacy today. So, you're not Bajau Laut, mm, but yeah. you're Bajau. Yeah, my mother, my late mother, because uh, both of my parents passed away, my late mother uh, wo- uh, was Filipino from uh, Southern Philippines. So during the civil war, she was one of the first refugee that was settled in Sabah by the government and was given the pass, the Burung Burung Pass, 1MMF, 1MM14 pass. Yeah, so that's where she met my father, who is a Malaysian. My mother unfortunately didn't get the Malaysian citizenship. Oh, okay. Yeah, because there was some problem. Uh, because uh, in Sabah, there's a lot of corruption because she was one of the first refugee uh, being settled, right? So by right, she can get the PR, mm. but she didn't get because uh, her IC her or PR was actually being sold to other people. The problem with Malaysian law is people interpreted it in a way that if your mother is not Malaysian, mm-hmm. you're not entitled to Malaysian citizenship. So a lot of uh, stateless people, most of them is because they are mother. And in my case, it's because of my mother. Because my mother was, in my birth set, it says my mother was Filipino. So that was one of the reasons why it was rejected at first. Mm. Mm, because of the mother side. I mean, our law would say either parent. Yes. Right? Mm. But the way NRD and those officials interpreted it, your mother must be Malaysian. Mm. So if your mother is not Malaysian, then it will be difficult mm. and almost impossible to get. I believe that uh, we can never really run away from talking about Malaysian jurisprudence when talking about statelessness. E is a lawyer in Malaysia, which means she deals with legal matters, she represents the clients in the court, she is an expert. So in the next part, she'll be highlighting the law of Malaysia concerning the stateless people. For example, according to the law of Malaysia, a person can become a citizen if at least one of the parents 
is a citizen of this country. As you listen more to what she has to say, you can have a better understanding on whether the system is discriminative or not against this vulnerable community. So I fill out a form and then I give it to KDN, yeah, the the home of uh, home affairs, and then yeah, I think after about what two years, I got lucky, I guess. Yeah, because a lot of people, I mean, my relatives, even. I mean, as of right now, some of my relatives are still stateless because they've been waiting for two years and then they got rejected, just like that, without any proper explanation. So, do they have to reapply uh, for it again? Or? I mean, that's the only way. <laughs> you can either reapply or you can just give up because oh. the thing about uh, Malaysian law is, I mean, no, no, it's not actually Malaysian law. It's actually Malaysian procedure mm-hmm. because uh, there's no. Proper SOP standard of procedures, mm-hmm. so you don't know what kind of document should you submit. Mm-hmm. You don't know what what are the things needed to prove your citizenship or mm-hmm. to prove your statelessness. So when we applied, we applied as per the form, right? Mm-hmm. But then if we got rejected, it will only state your application is rejected, rejected. Without, any without any reason. Yeah. So if you want to reapply, <laughs> you would want to know what uh, why did you get rejected yeah. in the very first place, right? Yeah. And you wouldn't know. We are talking about a kid's future, mm-hmm. like a children's future. Yeah. But the thing in Malaysia, it would depend on your luck. Uh, so I think that's a problem because we don't have clarity in terms of procedure. Yeah. Yeah, because I think you have the law. Uh-huh. It's just that how you apply the law mm-hmm. and how you interpret the law, mm-hmm. and as to the enforcement officers, the NRD, the immigration. How would they understand the law and mm-hmm. actually apply it? Because for them, especially like for police, for immigration in Sabah, I mean, I can speak for in Sabah. I think they treat stateless like illegal immigrant. So if you're found without your identification and stuff, they they wouldn't care with when you said you're stateless. They will take it. You don't have IC with you, so you're illegal immigrant, and they will just take you and put you in jail and stuff. Yeah. If you're saying that you're uh, you're Malaysian, you don't have proof to say that you're Malaysian. Mm. But if you're a foreigner, for example, or illegal immigrant, then you must be coming from somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So because uh, our law, if you're illegal immigrant, you are supposed to be sent back. Mm. You're, de- you're supposed to be yeah. deported to your original place. But if you're stateless, you don't have original place. I mean, oh. yeah, you're born in Malaysia, so. You you cannot identify. You you don't have any affiliation with any other states, mm. uh, so, so that's the problem. Mm-hmm. So they you just put you in detention center, and then I don't know. I think they they're just gonna send them release back to you. The yeah. Place. So currently there are a lot of stateless people in Sabah. Yeah, uh, I'm not too sure about the data mm-hmm. uh, because some say fifty thousand, some say hundred thousand. Because According to the latest news, it's like more than three hundred thousand. Mm, yeah. Because there's a lot of version as to mm. the numbers. Because mm. for one, they don't have identification, right? Yeah. So they cannot uh, get legal employment. Mm. They they can't really go to school properly. Mm. Some of them didn't even um, manage to go to school. They mm. cannot uh, have access to basic healthcare. Mm-hmm. So there's no way we can actually get. Proper data, proper like how many are of yeah. them? Because yeah. we don't know; mm. they they're not in any of our system. Mm. 
throughout my whole life, I always thought that getting an IC or being identified as a citizen was easy. I mean, some people out there have multiple citizenships. The worst I've had is having to pay a fine after I lost my IC. So it's crazy to know that there are people out there in Malaysia, thousands of them, who struggled and who are still struggling to get single citizenship. From what he has explained to us, we know that the problem for some people comes when they try to apply for the citizenship, but it takes forever to be approved by the government. For E, she had it differently. Although being born into the community, her application got accepted at the age of 18. Merdeka! Merdeka! Merdeka bangsaku! Merdeka! Merdeka! Merdeka tanah airku! Merdeka! Alright, we will move on to discuss the issue of education in the community as well as our guest, E's own journey upon being the lucky one to obtain her nationality and has the right to enter the government school. So when did you get your citizenship? Yeah. I think um, around nine years ago. Nine years ago. Nine years ago. Yeah. So it's around what age? Around... 18 before yeah, yeah 18 19 then how did you yeah. get education because i i get because it's easier back then mm-hmm. uh, to actually go to school because you don't have the stigma among teachers and some of the teachers then they don't even they don't know that oh. the red uh, birth set okay means you're not citizen <laughs> that's a problem oh. yeah so I got lucky that's why I say I got lucky because uh, when I applied to school my, my uncle uh, registered me and yeah and I, I don't I mean I, I went there without any expectation and hope but then I got it I went to government school and then I went to boarding school in fact uh, <laughs> were there other stateless people in your school as well? Uh, no your friends? no the, the thing about uh about my journey uh-huh. is a bit I don't know yeah it's it's full of uh, I don't know miracle I guess <laughs> because when I enter boarding school I only use the birth cert mm. I don't even use the IC because I can't get IC right so I even sit and go through PMR SPM with just the birth cert but it, the problem came uh-huh. when uh, after the after SPM Going to uni? Yeah, going to uni. That's why I was persistently pursuing to get my IC because I wanted to enter the university because Mm. then you cannot enter university with just your birth cert, right? So that's why my father went to Labuan, uh, my birthplace, uh, Wilayah Pesketuan Labuan in Sabah, uh, to actually go to the clinic uh, where I was born Mm -hmm. to get the data. Like, I need to get. Uh, like data. As you did yeah. You were born yes. So, I think the nurse managed to help my father to go to court to like make a statutory declaration, mm-hmm. and then uh, I used that as a supporting document mm-hmm. uh, 
when I was applying for citizenship because my birth cert is red I cannot just go to NRD like normal people uh, you can just go to NRD and get your IC mm-hmm. when you when you reach 12 years old right mm-hmm. but for me I need to go to uh, KDN uh, when I fill up the form uh, I managed to see the director mm-hmm. the director actually called me mm-hmm. to like kind of interview I think that's where I got lucky because I was granted the audience to actually speak directly mm. with the director. What did they usually ask like when they interview you? Uh, because I think he was curious because he saw that I went through school, I got mm. good results. Mm. But why are you in this problem? So yeah, he, he was like, uh, oh wow, <laughs> I didn't know that you actually have this kind of problem. I think because they, they are the policy maker they don't really go to the ground mm. and see the real problem they're just working on policy level so they don't know that there are distinction between illegal immigrant refugees and stateless yeah. so when you don't know the distinction you would treat all the same yeah. so when you know that oh there are actually Malaysian people who are born without IC mm-hmm. and they can't go to school because of that they can't go to university because of that and then they were surprised and I told him that yeah, because my father is a Malaysian. Mm. My other siblings got IC. And I was the only one yeah, who was born in clinic. Yeah, the ah. youngest. I mean, my, my other siblings, they were born in a house. In house, right? Oh, yeah. Home birth. So, oh. but they managed to get the IC. I was the only one who was born properly with the clinic mm. procedure. But I, I, I can't get my... Yeah. That's the problem. And, so. and if... I go to any of the NRD office, they would say, oh, this kind of problem, we have no power to deal with it. You have to go to Putrajaya. Mm-hmm. And then if you go to Putrajaya, uh-huh. they'll be like, oh, we don't handle Sabah uh, affairs. You have to go to state. So there's always that limbo that Sabahan need to face. They're like playing around, oh, we don't deal with Sabah, mm-hmm. Sabah uh, state affairs. Uh, the, because the prerogative is with the Sabah State Authority but then if you go to Sabah they'll be like oh this kind of problem is a bit uh, complicated uh, so I think it's better for you to go to Putrajaya yeah. <laughs> to deal with it basically they're just pushing your responsibility yeah they, they, we, you don't know what mm. to do but what are the differences of basic rights mm. yeah. I, from being stateless from being yeah. stateless is obvious because you do you uh, when when you are stateless you don't have uh yeah you, you you can't get bank account yeah. bank account driving license driving license yeah and stuff I mean you can get healthcare actually mm. being foreigner and stuff but it's more expensive mm. because they will charge you a different rate mm. you can get but they will charge you a different rate. But the problem with stateless is because some clinics or some hospital hospitals they would still require a certain identification. And some yeah, and yeah. some stateless just don't have yeah. documentation. Uh-huh. Because yeah, what what kind of documentation would you want? And yeah, what what kind of documentation? I think that's one of the the dilemma that was faced by people in Sabah especially the stateless without the identity or the documentation because even if you wanted to get the foreigner's treatment you can't because you cannot prove that you are a foreigner 
So they can only go to like certain hospitals that yeah, who are very relaxed in terms of its requirement and oh, yeah, okay. and some some clinics maybe quite okay mm. in terms and quite relaxed in terms of their requirement. But some clinics that would require you to like present something. But the th- but thing the the most challenges of being a minority because I'm from because my mother is Sulu from in, mm. from Philippine right, my father is a. Bajau, okay. Sabahan, Sabahan Bajau. We have our own language, our own culture, and everything. But living in KL, I I didn't get to speak my native language that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's fading. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I think the challenge is actually in terms of identity, mm. because and then I married a Malay man. So in terms of preserving the identity of being Bajau and Sulu mm. among Malay. It's difficult mm. because I didn't get to practice my culture, the kind of food mm. that we eat, the language. Yeah, it's actually feeding. It saddens me every time to know that someone's culture is fading. We all know that our country is unique in a way that we are a multiracial country. Therefore, it is the duty for every one of us to keep building bridges with each other. There are many ethnic and sub-ethnic groups in Sabah, including the indigenous people, who enjoy special privileges in lots of ways. But don't get me confused. Those indigenous people are no way stateless people. They are different. Uh, in Sabah, because we have so many ethnics, mm-hmm. so I think staying true to your roots is not difficult. Mm-hmm. Because Bajau is actually one of the biggest ethnic group. Kadazan, Asar. Yeah, Kadazan Dusun is I think the biggest one. The biggest. And the second is actually Bajau. Bajau. So it's not it's not difficult to actually maintain and stay true to your roots. In fact, most of Bajau people are now holding. High position in government. Mm. Even our CM is Bajau. Yeah, the chief minister is of Bajau descent, and also Suluk. Some of the ministers were of Suluk descent in Sabah. So that's the irony, right? Because yeah. you have a Bajau minister, you have a Suluk minister, but you have the problem on the ground where your people did not get IC. Did they try to like give any help? I don't think they care. To be honest with you, because if 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 they do care about the problem, it would have been solved mm. long yes, time ago. Yes, they indeed uh, implement a lot of policies. Mm. But actually, it is not working. Right? Mm, yeah, yeah, because there's no there's the no policies. willpower to actually implement those policies. I mean, like. Recently, the Minister of Education actually came out with a policy that says, "Oh, stateless kids can now go to school." But that was a policy announcement. You have policy announcement, but you also need implementation mm. Mm. by the schools mm. on the ground, and it need to be circulated like even to the rural schools, so that the teachers would know and understand that oh, there is a policy announcement that now we can admit stateless kids to our school. But that doesn't happen <laughs> because some of like I got to know that some of my relative still 
cannot go to school. So you are left wondering. You have a policy announcement saying that oh now, all stateless kids can go to school. But then some teachers and some schools still did not accept. Either they were just paying lip service to the public, mm. or the policy was not made public enough, mm. and they just announced it without doing proper. You yeah. know, you have you have to educate yeah. your school, your mm. teachers to accept that policy before you decide. If you just announced it, okay, it will actually give good image to you. But whether that policy is being implemented or not is yeah. a different issue. But what if like Bajau Lawu, they were not originally from Malaysia, but maybe they're from the Philippines. Mm. They were born there and then just came here and then received education here. That would be another problem. Yeah, that would be another problem. Yeah. I think that the way to go. Is actually to really identify mm-hmm. genuinely who is genuine uh, enough to actually receive the citizenship, or maybe not just citizenship. Maybe you can just give PR anyway, mm-hmm. just or just any identification yeah. scheme that you want, but just give them proper identification. Mm-hmm. Because the problem now is because we don't have data, we we don't have inventory of. Who are people coming in and out mm-hmm. of Malaysia? You don't have it. So if you don't have it, you can just accuse them of everything. Mm, true. <laughs> like if they're committing, okay, if they they actually commit a crime, how oh, do we yeah. then know that these people commit crime? Because mm-hmm. you don't have just data in our system, right? So it's a disadvantage, not just for people, uh, not just for stateless people, but also for Malaysia. Yeah, for country. Malaysia. Just like what happened, uh, I think recently, uh, not recently, during Najib, uh, Najib mm-hmm. uh, administration, mm-hmm. we helped Southern Philippines to establish Bangsa Moro framework, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a civil war happening. I mean, long time ago, in up until now, among Southern Philippines in Mindanao. So we Malaysia actually helped to mediate that unrest mm-hmm. to establish the framework of the Bangsa Moro. Mm-hmm. One of the reason we actually helped them is actually to help us. Because we know if these people were going through civil war and they are not politically well, stable and stuff, they would go to Sabah. So if you help them to get stable politically, socially and economically, they would just stay there. They won't come to Sabah. So yeah, because the the region is so interconnected, what will what is happening to that? Place will also will yeah. definitely affect mm. you. So that's the thing about the instrument that we need to take because we cannot just ignore the problem. Mm. The the thing about Malaysian government is we are ignoring the problem because, I mean, even with the the recent administration by PH, mm. whenever people ask questions in Parliament about yeah. status, they will be like, "Oh, we're still reviewing the standards yeah. of procedures. Yeah. We are still reviewing the standard of procedures." Mm. But for how long mm. and what kind of review are you taking? You've been doing studies about that problem for so long, but what is the outcome? And then if we have the outcome, okay, what's next? How, what 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 to do with the results? We don't do we don't do nothing. So if if we did not take step to actually remedy the problem, mm-hmm. it will persist. Mm. And the thing about stateless kids is one day they will grow up, mm-hmm. they will be adults. 
they will be adults they get married and then they're going to have kids and that kids going to be a stateless kids mm-hmm. so it's a cycle yeah it's a vicious cycle and then in terms of a uh, social crime like petty petty theft some people are desperate enough to do that mm. and if you don't give them like opportunity to have access to school for them to have better future they'll end up in the streets mm. and they will in, end up being influenced by the they were getting bad influence and that's going to affect the society as well so by by not helping them we're actually doing more harm mm. by not addressing the issue especially mm. in Sabah where majority of the problem is actually caused by these stateless people because they have nowhere to go because if you wanted to send them back to Philippines or to Indonesia they don't res- receive them yeah because they, they, they are born in Malaysia yeah. and they don't affiliate themselves with Indonesian and also Filipino so how how they're supposed to go right mm. they're, they're just going to stay in Sabah and Sabah are just ob- being oblivious mm. being part of Malaysia but you don't you can't prove that you're Malaysian mm. so you're really like living in limbo so I watched uh, a few documentary about Bajau mm-hmm. and quite a lot of especially Bajau Laut quite a lot of the parents mm-hmm. think education is not necessary because the short term problems of you know survival getting enough income yeah. uh, is a problem that they have to solve at the moment mm. so like sending their kids to school is like a luxurious activity for them betul So, are they aware of the significance of? I think, uh, not many, not many parents, uh, especially Bajau Suluk and also Bajau Laut, think that education is important. Like you said, mm. because even myself, right? Uh, we face. I think even among my relative, we have this uh, mentality that it's better to work than to study mm. because study will take up money. Mm. It's going to be a long time. Poverty. Yeah, it's the poverty. Because you need to earn yeah, like when when you have to choose between survivability yeah, yeah. and future, you yeah. will definitely survival. survival. Yeah, that that would take precedence definitely. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Bajau Laut is because also because they're living on the sea, right? Mm-hmm. And they basically did not have uh, inter much interaction mm-hmm. with people on the land. Mm-hmm. So nothing much can be helped. Mm-hmm. Especially if the help is coming from the outside, yeah. outside of their community, Bajau is a bit, a little bit better, and also Suluk because they're living on the land, mm-hmm. so you can't help. Interaction will happen between mm-hmm. you and also other ethnic and mm-hmm. other race, and you are exposed to development, to technology, so it will be influential enough to shift the mentality. But the thing about people, bajau bajau laut, because yeah, they 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 don't have that interaction much, mm. so it's hard to penetrate into their community and actually shift the mentality. Because until and unless that shift of mentality is happening within their community, it's gonna be difficult to change their lifestyle because they are content with their life. Mm. But it's gonna be hard because we don't have interaction. So if they don't change their mentality, then It's impossible for us to. Yes, but I don't think that's that's also a reason to not help. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you can always provide a Maybe better working awareness. opportunity. Yes. Yeah, like giving them basic right. uh, facilities, mm. basic infrastructure, 
it's like if people are used of to being poor it doesn't give you an excuse mm, to not help now. them because they are their content being poor why, why not why why do you need to help them you have to try mm. it's going to be difficult because they are used to it mm. to that kind of lifestyle but we can do a lot to actually facilitate mm. their lifestyle and not just bajau laut i mean those people who are actually living on kampung air mm-hmm. because you don't give them proper water supply oh Yeah, electricity supply is is not really that reliable in Sabah. That especially certain part of Sabah, so it's still difficult. I mean, in the in this modern Malaysia that we're talking about, you still have certain quarters of society who didn't get water supply mm-hmm. properly, who didn't get reliable electricity supply, and in fact, some of them didn't even get access to all that. And that wraps our first episode of Undocumented Sabah. Those are a lot to digest, so we thank you for staying till the end, listening to our conversation with E in sharing her own experiences of being stateless back then. The situation is complex, so join us again in the next episodes as we dive deeper into this issue. Here's a clue, education as a solution. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And if you haven't followed us on Instagram, please kindly search for our Instagram account Undocumented Sabah. Click the follow button and share it around. Thank you. Atau orang baju cakap, maksud